Hello, listeners! Welcome back to the Q&A Movie Podcast, featuring your favorite intern from First Church of Sanityville. Miss Ricky? <laughs> Nobody. Me. Quentin Seltzer. Oh, because cause when you said favorite, I thought you meant someone that, that people liked. Right. <laughs> but pal, A, Miss Ricky don't work here no more, and B, people just liked her because she was competent, cheerful, likable, not too hard on the old eyeballs, let's face it. <laughs> but she didn't have the one thing that I have. A vape pen? <laughs> Andy Bobandy, my uh, my alleged nicotine habits, well, they're, they're hardly... Hey, Mr. Q Seltzer! Uh, did you know that your name reminds me of a certain bubbly, bubbly water that you can get at the store? Uh, yes. Well, Andy... It's right! Because they both start with... Oh, this is Andy Jukeman, everybody. Andy Jukeman. Sock Mom says, Andy, you better get top billing next episode or I won't love you anymore. Wow, wow, that's so touching, Andy. Now, remember what we said about Sock Mom. Uh, uh, she's not allowed on the show? That's right, buddy. And also, you should probably throw her in a pond. I'll throw you in a pond. Ha ha ha, Andy. Andy, let's put Sock Mom away, shall we? Come in to get you seltzer. Oh, can I talk to Andy? Uh, maybe ask him to put the sock away. Ha, uh, and let's talk about our movie of the day, Groundhog Day. A wonderful little film about living life to the full. Uh, I thought it was about how if you're a jerk, life's pointless and awful, and the same things happen to you over and over and over again. <laughs> kind of like your life, Mr. Q. <laughs> well, now, Andy, sounds like one of us is so bad at interpreting movies he should never open his little mouth again on oh, the show. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> is it you? Ha <laughs> ha, some answers are better left unquestioned, bucko. But the movie I saw was about a man who didn't believe in himself, learning to unleash his inner potential on an unsuspecting world. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, was it Was it The Matrix? No, buddy, it's Groundhog Day, which actually is a lot like my life, insofar as it's about a supremely competent, fascinating man who has to transcend the limitations of the tedious people around him in order to become the best he can be. But Mr. Q. Seltzer, I thought it was about how he was so selfish. Then he learned that the true meaning of life was to help homeless people, and that's why people liked him. Ah, Andy. When you keep coming back at me over and over again with the wrong opinion, it kind of feels like I'm in a little groundhog day of my own, buddy. I hope you don't see your shadow. <laughs> the only person whose shadow I see is you, pal. But but you're like my Obi-Wan. My, uh, my Bagger Vance. <laughs> yeah, the, the two greatest mentor characters in film, Obi-Wan and Bagger Vance. My grandma, she... She, her favorite movie is Batman Vance because she says that black people should always serve. Oh, your grandma has so many opinions. So many great opinions, just like uh, Sock Mom. Sock Mom says I should listen to anybody but you. And that includes Miley Cyrus or or Steve Bannon or or Sheila (laughs) Booth. Why don't you tell Sock Mom that 2016 called it wants its references back. You better watch your back, Seltzer. And we're out of time. All right, so until the next Q&A, listener. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. Yeah, great, Andy. Thanks. That's a great quote from the movie. I tried to warn him, didn't I, Sock Mom? You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Everybody, 
My name is Nathan Alberson. I'm your humble and obedient host. Over there, you've got your humble and obedient associate producer and engineer, Benjamin Solzer. Hey, Nathan. And also your humble and obedient pastor, Jacob Menzel. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well. How are you, Nathan? Well, Jake, my life could not be full of more meaning. But that's not how everyone feels. And that's what we're going to talk. We are taking a step back. This might be our biggest. This is like the Infinity War of Sound of Sanity episodes. This is like the big one. We're we're going to tackle the big question today. You know, it's not going to be like, what did the Gospel Coalition say about such? No, no, no. None of that. I mean, I like doing that stuff. We're going to do more of that stuff. Talk about getting to where people really feel crazy. Yeah, it's like if if you had to say the one place where people feel crazy, it's the meaning of life, right? Sitting alone on your bed at night, staring... Mm -hmm. At a dark ceiling, First staring of all, into the abyss. Why are you sitting on your bed? You should be laying down. It's night. But instead, <laughs> that would you're be the first problem. Sitting there like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> on your bed <laughs> because you're depressed and you're thinking while staring at the ceiling. While staring <laughs> at the ceiling, yeah, you're going to give yourself a a crick in your neck. So the meaning of life—that's what we're going to actually talk about today, because you know it is the number one question that people ask. What is the meaning of life? And what are the answers that our culture gives us? Guys, I'm going to read you some quotes from some great philosophers. The meaning of life, this this is a philosopher we've just, a person we've, this is a writer we've discussed on the show. We did a whole episode around him. The meaning of life is whatever you ascribe it to be. Being alive is the meaning. Anybody know who that was? I do. One Joseph Campbell. One Joseph Campbell. Yes, sir. Now here's one of my favorite philosophers right here. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. Does anybody want to take a guess who that is? He's probably a very profound existentialist philosopher. He's, a, he's an Austrian. An Austrian Whoa, philosopher. Yes, sir. Yes, Those sir. guys are sharp. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll actually give you guys some other quotes from him if you want them. Sure. Well, let's hear them. Hasta la vista, baby. Ooh. It's not a I tumor. Mean, ooh, I, I think I know who it is. I do, yep. too. Schopenhauer, probably. Probably. Nope. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, One yes. of our most profound thinkers. <laughs> One of our most profound thinkers. Well, the point in bringing Schwarzenegger into it is that everybody's got an opinion and the kinds of things they say are the meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. To conquer what? To achieve what? And why? Well, I don't know. Maybe if you, we just, looked up the We just quote. like the idea of conquering and achieving. Joseph Campbell says it's nice to have a purpose. What and is Arnold, the purpose? And Arnold Schwarzenegger says it's nice to achieve. <laughs> what should we achieve? Yes, exactly. You should. Now, spoiler alert, this next one might be the right one. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But let me contrast that with another quote from another German. You have your way. I have my way. As for the right way, the correct way, and the only way, it does not exist. This is a famous guy that liked to stare into the abyss. I dare say the abyss may have stared into him. And swallowed him whole. And swallowed him whole. Who is it, Jake? Friedrich Nietzsche. Mr. Nietzsche himself, or Professor Nietzsche, whatever it was, on the need professor or something. But you know where I go to figure out the meaning of life? Academic journals, of course. Academic journals. Uh, you nailed it, Jake. Specifically, right. popular like, academic journals. Yes, like yes. Popular <laughs> academics is the place <laughs> to go for truth. Uh, how good. Well, I'm wasting my time. The Psychology Today. I found an article uh, on yes. Psychology Today. This was on the front page of Google. If you, if you just ask Google what the meaning of life is. One of the first things that come up is this article by uh, Psychology Today. Here are four truths that give your life meaning and purpose. 
Hero journeys illuminate your true purpose in four ways. So the article actually becomes a Campbellian article about hero journeys. And All right. these are the four things that give your life purpose. Number one, you will go on a journey. Ah, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yep. <laughs> The journey can be real or metaphorical. Sometimes you choose the journey. Sometimes the journey chooses you. That's a paraphrase of what he says right here. Whether you're Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz or... Luke from Star Wars. Or Hazel, who gets cancer in The Fault in Our Stars, is actually the example that he uses. Turns out you can make almost any movie fit this template. Uh, Number two, you will grow... Turns out we did a whole episode about how all the movies are made to fit this template. Yep, you can uh, listen to that episode. It's called The Hero's Journey. Point number two, you will grow from adversity. This is kind of like what Schwarzenegger and Campbell said. Like, you'll grow. You'll achieve. You're on a journey and you're growing. Grow towards what? Achieve what? I don't know. But you'll grow. Number three, you will assemble a team of allies. The Avengers. The Avengers to help them overcome obstacles. Uh, You will give back to society. In the Odyssey, Odysseus endures his turbulent voyage home and then becomes a wise ruler of Ithaca. That's actually not true. Odysseus kills the crap out of a bunch of guys. And then, <laughs> and then he takes off on another journey. And then he takes off on another journey. <laughs> and oh, the boy. Odyssey actually ends with him about to fight another group of people. And Athena's like, guys, what you doing? So to sum it up, this article sums it up as your life purpose is to use your own personal transformation to help transform society. Ah. Again, to transform society why? into what and why and how not covered in this article by psychology today oh man for the better of course for the better oh yeah well yeah of course the better here's the thing this might seem obvious but it's fascinating you 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 go anywhere i mean you type this into google you look you try and figure out what have all the great people said the meaning of life is it's all you know all the popular stuff is just like this just this the meaning of life is to find meaning. The meaning is existentialism, basically. It's just, yeah, it's just all gobbly gook that's downstream from hardcore existentialism. But now it's just become Back like, you know, it's not the destination. It's turned into this feel-goody kind of stuff. And But what lurks behind it is that the destination destination is a cold, wormy grave in the ground. That's right. And so we better just focus on the journey. It's disappearing <laughs> into the dark and formless void. I'll follow you into the dark. Yep. Now, before we answer this question, we probably need to consult some other experts. Who, who do you think we should consult, Ben? Uh, well, my thoughts go to guys who've actually, you know, lived out this question and really grappled with it, wrestled with it, punched it in the face, probably. You know who I mean. Oh, yeah. The humanologians. I you're talking about, yeah, the human, yeah. Uh, the, well, those guys are so awesome. All right. They're really uh, awesome. The most manly men in Sanityville, they do a little, I don't know if it's a public access program or what it is, but they do a little program and they're called the Humanologians. Let's go ahead and listen to what they have to say. Hey, idiots. Welcome to Humanologians, like the manliest show in the Ville. We make John Wick look like John Denver. Whatever, BJ. All your role models are fictional. Shut up, CJ! John Denver was real! Uh, if he was real, why did he do a special with the Muppets? Shut up, CJ! Muppets are totally real, and Muppets are puppets. You're a puppet. That's right, (laughs) CJ. I'm a totally awesome, manly puppet. Like that big guy, uh, who's the bird? Uh, what's his name? 
So, CJ, now that your smoking hot wife, like, totally divorced you, are you just, like, a loser in your mom's basement? Guys, from now on, I want you to call me Puppet BJ. Uh, let me answer that question with, like, another question, AJ. Would a loser in his mom's basement have a totally awesome lava lamp? Fair point, CJ. If history has taught us nothing else, and it hasn't, it's that really successful people have lava lamps. So today we totally have our first guest on. No one fights like Gaston, douses lights like Gaston. In a wrestling match, nobody bites like Gaston. He said guest on. <laughs> guest on, not, not Gaston, idiot. Shut up, CJ. Gaston is my spirit animal. He's such a great guy. And speaking of spirit animals, let me introduce our guest. He's the masked manosphereian on a mission to talk to men about the meaning of life, Mr. Dark. Desmond Dark. So, Mr. Dark, there's, like, a lot of ideas out there about the meaning of life and what men should, like, think it is. <laughs> ideas. Let me tell you about ideas, son. Fem Nazis, SJWs, conservatives. they're always trying to spread their ideas. <laughs> like anybody's mind was ever changed by ideas. I changed my pants once because I got jello on them. Oh, it was super funny. <laughs> the only jello is in your mind, son. Because you've let females control your frame, you've got to take back control. Um, are you saying that's the meaning of life? Well, CJ, I'm saying if you'd framed reality for your smoking hot wife, maybe you wouldn't be getting a D word. Dear Jerky, shut up. BJ, he's talking about divorce. Actually, I was talking about deer jerky. I brought deer jerky for everyone. I love deer jerky. In your fat face, CJ! I bet Desmond Dark made this jerky from a deer he killed with his own bare hands! That's probably true. Hey, didn't I, like, see this brand on sale at the Gas and Go today? I can neither confirm nor deny what's on sale at the Gas and Go, my friend. I can give you some facts, though. Fact. Someone had to kill a deer to get this jerky. Fact. I have hands that could kill a deer. Fact. I'm the man with the jerky. You do the math. Uh, I feel like you might be leaving out some key data. That's because you hate men. Let's talk about divorce. The reason that 100% of divorces happen is because the husband doesn't maintain frame. So my divorce totally wasn't because of video games or porn. Or that time I ran over my smoking hot wife's foot with a dirt bike? <laughs> CJ ran over his smoking hot wife's foot with a dirt bike. Whatever, BJ. She wanted me to kill that spider, didn't she? You did it because your wife wanted you to. What kind of a beta are you, son? I'm, I'm totally an alpha. The truth is that all modern men are like puppets in a femme Nazi puppet show. They pull the strings. And the men go right along. Is that like the kind of puppet show where the Kermit the Frog gets hit in the face with a pie? This is the kind of puppet show that ends with men getting really angry. Right, like, totally not like the puppet shows that grown men love to go to. Booyah! It's time for your moment on stage, boys. Time to cut the strings of cuck servitude. Time to free your mind with philosophy. I suggest Schopenhauer. He said the world was made up of will and ideas. Uh, like, what book did he say that in? The world as will and ideas. I've never read that book. How am I supposed to know what it's about? Whatever, BJ. The last book you read was Everybody Poops. They totally do, CJ. The author makes a convincing case. You have to cut the strings, boys. And how do you cut the strings? By controlling the frame. That means defining the terms of your social interactions, projecting your masculine essence outward, remaking your physical reality. 
But I, I like being a puppet. Puppet BJ! Whatever, BJ. You're not even a real puppet. Ha. Shut up, <laughs> CJ! I am too a puppet! Oh, hey, everybody! I'm a puppet! How do you do the, uh... Duh. Uh, Mr. Dark, is all the stuff you just said about frame and projection and puppets like a cartoonish stereotype or exaggeration of what the Manosphere talks about? No, kid. You can find it pretty much word for word on the internet. Because, like, we he-manologians have admittedly become, over time, more and more out there. Uh, some might say cartoonish. But we're still not as cartoonish as that. Except PJ. <laughs> he's, he's totally a cartoon. Shut up, CJ! I'm not a cartoon! I'm a puppet! No, don't run away, BJ, and watch out for that cliff. It's okay, because even though he's gone over the cliff, he hasn't looked down and realized it yet, so he's just kind of hovering in midair. Oh, now he has. You guys are dumb. All right, thank you, Hemanologians. Edifying as always. Thank you, Desmond Dark. Guys, what is the answer to this question? I mean, I know it's like it's in the Bible. Is, you know? there, is there some distillation of scripture that we can look to, some place where it's just summed up perfectly, where wise men There's have just an is there anything like that? Excellent summary of this sort of question that used to be taught to every schoolboy and schoolgirl growing up, every child. Is it C Spot Run? Uh, it's not C-Spot Run. It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The Westminster Shorter Very Can- first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Yeah, I, I happen to have that here. It's almost like I thought we were going to be doing an episode on this. What is the chief end of man? The answer to that question, gentlemen. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. All right. I guess we solved that problem for we did. people. Yep. Have a good day, everybody. Well, I mean, it's really, it's all oh, my stars. It's the devil's advocacy alarm. Yes, it is. Oh, boy. Ben, why don't you describe to our new listeners what the devil's advocacy alarm is, the DAA. All right, listeners, the DAA is the part of the show where one of us plays the devil's advocate and argues against the position we've taken and forces us to actually, you know, give a fair shake to the opposing viewpoint. Yep, or maybe the opposing viewpoint will even win. Whoa. So let's establish what we, so, so far, we said we're going to talk about the meaning of life. We talked about some pretty bogus seeming pop psychology, pop stuff that's all downstream of existentialism and all basically says it's the journey, not the destination. You have to make your own destiny. You have to make your own meaning. All right. So that's where we're at. Now, someone is going to play the devil. They're going to advocate for an opposite point of, so this is, <laughs> this might be our most devilish devil ever. Somebody's going to say that the chief end of man is not to glorify God and not to enjoy him forever, I guess. That's a pretty devilish devil. So who wants to who wants to devil? Well, I'll do it. Oh Jake. I might have known. The anti Westminsterian. Alright, Jake, take it away. What do you gotta say, my friend? Well, you just quoted a document that is from 1647, and there's a reason that document is from 1647, and children aren't taught that sort of thing anymore. And that's because a long time ago, religion was the opiate of the masses. And the fact is, if you cling to that sort of thing, it's because you're scared of the dark, and you can't look the reality of existence in the face. So you need a a cute, warm bedtime story. Make you feel better about yourself. Well... 
Somebody's been taking a freshman philosophy course. Boy, I've been teaching a freshman philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ben. Jake has asserted with zero evidence that life is pointless and we are You've asserted with zero evidence that there is a meaning and it's somehow tied up in God. You just simply asserted it because there's an old document. Okay. Well, then you asserted that there was absolutely no meaning. Said that everything was pointless. Yep. So I guess we're at an impasse. You take your security blanket to bed with you at night and And you just shiver alone in the dark and the cold but 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 you'll but be I'll have brave. My, I'll have the courage to actually face it though the courage to the courage instead of instead of shrinking and hiding from it and convictions pre- well ben i made an assertion and jake made an assertion mm. i think you're going to have to choose oh man uh well i'll choose the westminster confession because that's based upon the truth of jesus christ and who he is and his revelation to us which has the authority to tell us what's true and what's false and that allows me to judge the two things you guys just said. So you you just are going to uh, rely on a revelation, some kind of special revelation, right? Which is a better position than yours because you're relying only on the confines on facts, of your own mind. No, you're not. Reason, you, haven't, you haven't stated any facts, logic, actually. Science, hmm. not so far. You've we're, we're, <laughs> you've, you've turned around those words. <laughs> One of the most well-documented historical facts is that Jesus came, that he True. did miracles, that he died, that he was rose, that he rose again. This was seen and given uh, evidence, and attested to by zealous followers and zealous followers alone. That cannot be trusted. Died for him. Men from all different walks so of life. So insane people. Well, if you have a standard of sanity, then what do you base your authoritative standard of sanity on? Because it do sounds you, like you have one. What do you well, base I, your Well, let's just start with not being crazy enough to kill yourself for some guy who claimed to rise from the dead or whatever. Not being crazy enough. I mean, again, what's your standard for... I don't, I don't understand by what standard you're judging, like, the historicity of the Gospels, What are you concerned about even? standards? Your standard is a book that condo- condones genocide <laughs> and slavery <laughs> and misogyny. Why don't we go back to the fundamental questions before we get into the weeds of... Don't talk to me about standards, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have a standard for saying that any of those things are wrong. So Listen, you- I have to deal with a world that is chaotic and I have to face it every day and I don't have a security blanket of thousand year old words made to make me feel better about it but that's because your security blanket of thousand year old words is full of moral nonsense and contradiction the security blanket you're using is just your own mind and say so because you keep talking about how you face the world but I'm not sure what you're talking about like are you talking about coming up with your own standards every day it sounds like that that must be what you mean so what are these standards that you're coming up with how are you facing the world like where are you where do you where are you getting the authority to figure out what matters in life and what doesn't and assign meaning to this and not that where are you getting that moral authority, authority? Where do you get authority from? Why are you so obsessed with authority? Well, because you're using it all the time in our conversation. You just won't be honest about it. I mean, you keep judging me and my revelation from God, my my standards of meaning. You're judging them, but you're pretending like you're the objective one. But you're judging me all the time. So how are you judging me? If, if you're the one who doesn't believe in this uh, outside authority... What authority are you using to judge me with? It sounds an awful lot like you're just tied up in pedantic philosophical circles here. 
That sounds an awful lot like you don't want to answer That is what it sounds (laughs) like. you keep pivoting because, in fact, you know that you have no authority uh, besides yourself and what you perceive. I mean, how do you know that what you perceive? How how can you call me crazy? You don't have a definition of what sanity is. And every time that Ben pushes you on it, you just push back and say, well, neither do you, I guess. What's your definition of sanity? My definition of sanity is the word of God. It's the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's really broad. In my heart. In your heart. So it is subjective for you. No, it is the objective truth that God has written in my heart that he's written in your heart. And yet I don't find it there. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So so you presume to know what's in my heart. Yeah, I do. (laughs) You're an angry atheist or agnostic or whatever you want to call yourself, punk, (laughs) who doesn't want to do, do anything but tear down what we're saying you have yet to erect anything you have yet to build anything you have no edifice of thought you have Listen, no way of thinking from the beginning of time man has been trying to solve this problem and god was a step along the way but as the great philosopher nietzsche said god is dead and we've killed him we've moved beyond him and so here we are and the fact is we all need to put aside our past superstitions and build upon what our ancestors have laid the groundwork for so i'm thankful for the place that religion had and getting us to the place where we are today, but we've moved beyond it. Okay, so you answer the question, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? It's childish and immature to need an answer to that question, for one, is what I think, to need a concrete answer. What the more mature philosophical answer to that question is, you have to make your own meaning. You have to figure it out for yourself because the answers aren't out there written in stone tablets like we want them to be. You are making an authoritative pronouncement. That's what you're doing about how And you're making a pedantic in... point. It's, and... it's, it's, it's not pedantic because you keep on insisting, you keep on talking about how we appeal to authority, but then you talk about the foundation the ancestors have laid. I believe those were your words. So why, I'm not sure why I should trust this foundation that all these ancestors all, all, have laid. Whose ancestors? You know, All of mankind has been... Look, from the caveman scrawling on the walls and sitting under the stars at night to today, we've progressed. Okay, you are making Man, statements are there like amazing about claims. cavemen. You think that cavemen... What, what is your evidence that cavemen exist? Paintings on walls. Uh, listen... What is your I, evidence that these paintings have meaning? Look, I... I don't have to be an authority in every sphere of life. What is your evidence that you I have trust any authority? The okay, what, how, why do you trust these scientists? Because it's their job. Why do you trust their What's job? What's your job? Why should I trust you? I'm a podcaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. How do you know that I'm not trustworthy? In other words, what is your standard of judgment? Well, okay, so there's reason and experience and logic, and we, again... Okay, so we, you trust in reason. Why? Because what else am I supposed to trust in? Even if I were to trust in a, an ancient book, I would have to use my own reason to discern... But how do you know that your own reason is trustworthy? Reason is that it's just like what Descartes said. I think, therefore, I am. How do you, know you, you, think, you have to start how, how you somewhere and you have to start dream. with yourself because that's all you know. You could be dreaming. You could be programmed. You could be a robot that's made that's mm-hmm. meant to think that it sure, thinks. Sure, that's true. I could be all of those things. And yet, wondering if I'm those things doesn't help me solve any problems. The fact is, I, I am something. And so let's start with the fact that I am. I am something. I don't. I, I do think therefore I am. I don't and know that you are. Okay, fine. You I, don't have I, to know. I know that I see something, and I th- I know that I think, but my senses can deceive me. You might not even be here. Your senses you can deceive. That's you might be from your perspective. I can see why that truth might make sense or appeal to you. However, the fact is, you don't have anything else to go on but your senses. Even if you're going to take your holy book, 
you've got to start with your senses. You got to use your eyes. You got to use your mind. You got to use your reason. It starts with you. You're not going to be able to get past starting with you, no matter what you do. Well, that, yeah, that's that's very like knowledge of yourself is where all true wisdom begins that's very utilitarian i mean all you're saying is because because i have to start with this stuff because if i didn't i couldn't say anything but that's still that's really not answering the question right because the question is like how do you know it's true how do you how how can you say what's true and what the meaning of life is and you're just saying well if i don't listen i just think that you need to have a little more humility and be able to start with what you've got yeah, and I'm and I'm and saying work that's, your way out of that. I'm saying that's not actually humility. And sit yourself in, the face in of this context. You, wh- sorry, what? I'm saying that's not actually humility. In humility the face of this might question. look like being able to take a step outside of yourself and put your faith in something else. You want to reduce everything to what you think you can perceive, which sounds an awful lot like arrogance to me. You're actually the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong. You're actually the arbiter of what's real and what's false, and you cannot logically or reasonably believe that anything else I'm happy to trust a lot of different things outside of myself that's that's not the problem but who else is going to interpret it for me but myself at the end of the day even if I were to entrust myself to the perfect teacher I still have to be the one to who understands what he's communicating well and yeah so, but but that's two different things cuz your ability to understand and your ability to trust are two different things cuz you might be able to understand a bad teacher who you couldn't trust. And what if the one teacher you could trust, you couldn't understand? I mean, that's quite possible, right? Or do you really think that your intellect is great enough that, you, that you're that you sure? Whatever no, is true, you'll my, be able no, to know it. No, I'm not sure. My okay. intellect has its own limitations. All right. And so there are all kinds of limitations that I have. But you know what? I have to work with the limitations that I've been given. My limitations are my own. They're nobody else's and they're what I have. Okay, so, so you are putting your trust in what? You are trusting that your senses work. You are trusting that they can perceive something of reality. You are trusting yeah, that experts and that's just such because as scientists that's, can tell you something. These are all items of faith for you. Yep. I, and I then you turn around and you accuse us of having faith in something outside of ourselves. You have faith. We both have faith. That's all I want you to admit. You have blind, unreasonable faith in yourself, in your senses, in well, science. Well, the only... Th- quibble I would make with you is that it is perfectly, the only reasonable thing to have faith in is to begin with reason itself and to work your best way forward well, with I'm, reason. I, I, I'm sorry, but it's not reasonable to call it reasonable. If that's what you start with, that's just what you assume. It's not like you worked it out. And where, do, just, you, where do your assumptions begin? My assumptions begin with what's revealed to us in the Bible. And, and what Nathan and, was and, saying is true. And, and what, We're both making assumptions. And how did you make the determination, apart from some reasoning, to start there? You, you started with some reasoning, some rationale. No, in order God, to, God acted upon me to bring so me to So you just in some kind of void or vacuum where you have no volition in your submission to this authority That's whatsoever. actually not true. And that's, that's actually not what I'm saying. My only point is that you are starting with certain assumptions and you want to call those and assumptions you're denying, reasonable. You're starting with the same assumptions, but you're simply in denial about them. No, I'm starting with different assumptions. I'm starting with assumptions that there is a God who's outside of me. And yet you had to use your mind and your reason and any number of other things in order to get there. That's true. That's true. But, but we're And so you had to rely foundationally on your mind, your senses, your reason, your judgment in order to start with what you say are your foundational assumptions. But 
you're operating on other assumptions first. And so it's just garbage. Actually, that's not true. Because what we're saying is that God actually explains the reason why my reason works and why I can trust my senses. And like, the only God who explains that is the God of the Bible. And I'm saying that you don't have any explanation for why it's a good idea to trust your reason or your senses. You just have an assumption that you have I to. I do have a good explanation. It's because I have nothing else to start with. Right, but that's not an explanation. That's like the only thing in the fridge is this rotten turkey, so I have to eat, eat it or I'll starve. <laughs> <laughs> that's not really an explanation, is it? I mean, well, listen, that's the, that's the mess. That's the conundrum of it all. That's the situation we all find ourselves in. As we wake up crying and screaming in this cold world, and all we got is ourselves and our family and the history of humanity behind us. Look, I, and and I, I'm sorry, but, but that's just not true. Here, listen, here's the truth about you is that you actually know God. You actually have a knowledge of God inside you that you are busy pushing down because you don't want to worship God. Like, you actually already have an awareness of God in you, and you, and you hate him. And, and wait, 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 why would I hate him? Because why, if I had this awareness of God, why would I not just be glad to submit to him? Because there's something in you called sin that you're that you're born with. It and, and which it's, is it's, your it's a, it's a re- explanation for the chaos of this world. That's right. But, That's right. Yes, it's obvious you've read enough about Christianity to know that that like sin is the reason why. Yeah, we, I, we we hate and kill each other. But sin doesn't start with what we do to each other. It starts with our response to God and and a sinful heart is the reason that the world is messed up because a sinful heart says to God I won't worship you I'll worship myself I'll reason without you I'll live without you I mean Listen, not that why, we can, why would but I we'll do try. that I'm I'm perfectly happy if there is such a being who can manifest himself to me to submit to that okay so we're telling you that there is he sent Jesus you need to believe in him you need to submit yourself yeah you're telling me he is the Muslims are telling me he is Everybody is telling me some different version. And yet, all of these different versions throughout all of history have basically been telling the same story of humanity from different perspectives. And I don't know why you get off thinking that your version is somehow superior to the to the archetypes, you know, that have been true across multiple religions or places or times. And that's why what what I've been saying from the beginning is, you know, religion had its place and time to help us get us to where we are today, but we've, we've moved past it. What we're saying is that these aren't archetypes. We're saying that God actually has acted in human history and made himself known to us. Not Religion is not like men making up archetypes and writing them down and writing different sacred stories and forms and things for people to follow. True religion is God making himself known to us. And what we're saying is that God has made himself known to his ancient people, the Jews, and promised them the Messiah, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're saying that the Muslims don't believe that, and... Yeah, the Muslims don't believe that, true. And the Orthodox Jews don't believe that. So you know enough of so other religions to know that there's some distinctions. There are, some, there are definitely some distinctions. Good job. So you have studied beyond your own religion just a little bit. <sighs> yes. <laughs> you're the one that I, just I said there weren't that, any distinctions. I rec- well, you're the one that just said everybody's yeah. always believed the same thing. But it, but why did you say that if you know that we have some fundamental differences? Well, it's really just the Christians that have the fundamental difference. You have to assert that in certain radical Muslim sects. Certain, I'm sorry. What did you radical say? Muslim sects. Huh. I'm not following your thought there. You're, you're saying that certain radical I, I, Muslim I'm saying that I, like, there's certain radicals in in all all 
all religions and Christians tend to produce them who believe that they have, or they just haven't broadened their experience enough to know and see, you know, that there are other religions out there that teach basically the same things. Yeah, interesting. That's not actually what I believe, though, because what I'm saying is that the Bible itself, which even today... And the, Mus- and the Muslims would say the Quran itself. and The Muslims would say the Quran... And, and the Orthodox, Orthodox Jews, Jews would say, would say the Torah, the, Torah right? yeah. the Old Testament of the Bible. Yeah. I'm saying that the Bible itself is actually this. It's actually what I'm saying. It's demonstrably what I'm saying. It's so like an let me ask you a question. The Muslims, the Muslims make the same claims that you do, and so do the Jews, that they have revelation from God. And it's different than your revelation from God. Yes. And so... The Muslims have one guy that came. His name was Muhammad. He did his miracles. And the Christians have one guy that came, and his name is Jesus. Actually, no, that's and his followers. The Christians have a history. We have 66 books. The Bible the Muslims is just take one the old, book. The, the Muslims take the Old Testament, too. They don't take it honestly because they don't oh. believe what's contained in it. Oh, because if they did, then they would believe Listen, why do you have story? a chip on your shoulder about the Christians? I don't have a chip on my shoulder about anybody. Yes, you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's obvious that you that you thought about how Christians tend to produce the most radicals and we're the most narrow-minded. Well, you're a fictional character, true, so you're capable so. of wiggling in ways that maybe a real person wouldn't wiggle. But if this was a real conversation, what I'd be asking you is, why do you have a chip on your shoulder about the Christians? Well, Christians are my context, and maybe if I were in the Middle East or in southern Spain or something like that, I would be thinking more about Muslims. But Christians are the people who are standing most, in my context, in the way of growth, maturation, and enlightenment. Well, listen, let me just lay out the big picture for you. This is the discussion we've just been having. You have an essentially nihilistic point of view. You cannot prove anything. You just have kind of a method of a way of looking at things. You have reason, you have your senses, you have no particular reason or basis for believing them, except for that it's all I got. It feels consistent to do so. Yeah. And it's all you got. Yep. So that's what you have. Yeah, that's what I got. We have faith. an old book. We have faith in God who came in the form of a man who did signs and wonders, who rose from the dead, who was witnessed by lots of people, who wrote lots of books, who spread across the Western world who came after other guys that had done signs, other guys that had written. We have the confirmation of... Sounds pretty crazy. Well, okay, I'm sorry. It sounds crazy. That's not an argument. That's just that it sounds crazy. You're the one that has blind faith here. I just gave you lots of reasons for why I believe. You just have this blind faith. You just made a lot of assertions that you actually didn't substantiate. You make claims. What 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 we, what we did begin to work work toward was to show that it's let me let me make, an, let me make another assertion. If I came back to you and I had all my evidence, you still wouldn't believe it, because you have a blind faith in your own reason, in your own understanding, in your own perception, and you are clinging desperately to that because you do not want to admit that you're wicked. You do not want to admit that you're under the judgment of God. You do not want to put your faith in Jesus Christ. These things have been written in your heart, and you deny them. And so it doesn't matter what I come to you with. I I can back those things up with facts and figures. I could tell you, I mean, the Bible is 66 books. You could do the research for yourself. It's written by different men. Lots of people saw Jesus. Lots of people saw the miracles. Lots of people were willing to die because of what they'd seen. And there's a whole history of that. But guess what? You have a blind faith, and you are willing to die for that faith and go into the darkness for that faith because 
you're just not interested in doing anything else. You're the one that's digging, digging his heels in and refusing to see what's in front of you. Okay. I think we agree to disagree. Okay, guys, time out. Yeah, okay. We've been having this discussion. Jake's been playing the devil. Yeah. Jake's been playing a type that I think we've all talked to. Jake certainly talked to that type in college ministry. I'm going to take a wild guess. (laughs) You've met some of those people. I've certainly met those people. In college, in college ministry, in life. In life, (laughs) on the construction site, wherever you go. wherever you go. So here's a problem. Let's let's talk about the discussion that we, the the fake discussion that we just had. Yeah. The problem with having these kinds of fake discussions is that, like you alluded to earlier, I'm a I am a fictional cartoon character that can change and morph. And so he's a little hard to pin down. He's, because... a little, he's a little hard to pin down. And if you're not careful, you're only going to end up arguing philosophically with him. Mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. real way to deal with people like this is always to get at the place or point of their sin and rebellion against God. Yeah, that's why I, when I alluded to it, it was because we started to get into the Muslim thing. And I could imagine that discussion going any number of ways, depending on who you actually yeah. were. But it was kind of, I was feeling frustrated there because I was like, I know exactly what I do in real life, but if I do it here, Jake's free to just like rewrite his character's backstory and jump over. <laughs> now, now, this is the way that I, I, like when I teach systematics, this is the way I, I teach it. And I usually stick to my story. Right. I have created a backstory on the fly and then I, I let people and push people to ferret it out. There is a place or a point or a way that you can get this, the, my guy in a corner. Right. But it's not going to be if you stick to the ph- the philosophy. I'm just going to, it's going to bounce off me. I'm going to agree to part ways with you. You're going to have lost me because you're not going after the sinner. You're not going after my heart. You're not going after the point of rebellion. And so I still think it's helpful to do what we just did. I think there are two consistent worldviews in life. One of them is nihilism and the other one's Christianity, which is yeah, in consistent, quote unquote, self self-consistent self-consistent self-contained i don't i don't think nihilism ultimately is consistent with the way god made the world but it works it's a closed loop it's a closed loop right yeah that's that's the appeal of a lot of existentialist philosophers is that they have a really nice tight closed loop Mm. but at the end of the day when you deal with people you have to remember like you said to me earlier i know that or both of you said i know that god exists i know that i'm under his judgment my life is simply trying to deal with a guilty conscience before God mm-hmm. at night alone on my bed, unless I've totally hardened myself, I still, from time to time, think about the reality that God is God and I have to face him. And it's scary. And I'm the one that's scared of the dark or that type of character is the one that's actually scared of the dark. And so f- the quickest path to the point of rebellion, the quickest path to a person's heart is through their through their rebellion, through their sin. And so the quickest path to actually dealing with their soul is to their sin. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows this verse, but Rome, or, uh, yeah, Romans 1, 18 and on. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There are no atheists. Right. There are just no atheists. It's foolishness to the world, right? You're, those philosophical conversations aren't actually going to result in a changed heart. You have to get at the person's yeah. sin and their point of rebellion. That's right. One of the best paradigms for thinking about this is the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. If you think back to that that story, Jesus comes to a woman at the well at a time of day when she shouldn't be there, and he asks for a drink, and he says, well, if you knew who I was then you'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you, and she says, sir, give me a drink. And he says, go call your husband, mm. right? 
And so he goes straight for her sin and her rebellion. And she evades. Sir, I perceive that, and she evades with the theological <laughs> question. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers say to worship in this, but you say to worship on that mountain. Now, which is the, the truth? So she completely dodges and evades by going to a philosophical theological question. Mm. And Jesus cuts through that. And that's what people do. That's a standard tactical evasion that people take. They'll evade to philosophy and to theology whenever you put your finger on the place. And you have to have the faith and the wisdom of Jesus to cut through that and get straight to the heart of the matter with people. The, the woman doesn't go and tell all her friends and relatives, come see a man who solved my philosophical quandary about the position of the temple and of worship. No, but she does go say, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Well, this seems like a good place to take a little break. We're actually going to come back and do another devil's advocacy oh, segment boy. because there's other ways that people can attack, attack this. this. Yep. So we'll be right back after this. What's this? Vanna's wearing a dumb pantsuit. Ugh, now it's more like Wheel of Fortune. Well, TV is ruined. Guess I might as well get some shut-eye. Say, why is there a bunch of creepy fog outside my window? Stupid nature. Whoa there, buddy. That was my window you just smashed through. What are you, some kind of werewolf or something? I am no werewolf. I am Hillary Clinton, dark vampire overlord of the Ville. You just broke my window there, pal. This is just great. Well, excuse me, but I heard you watching Wheel of Gorchon, and now I want to suck your blood. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Ah, this is great. Just great. First I stab myself with a fork. Now a vampire wants to suck my blood. This ain't my night. I will sink my fangs into your neck and... Wait, you stabbed yourself with a fork? I was trying to get the plastic off a of lean cuisine. Oh, well, it could have been worse. I could have had to eat the stupid thing. Yes, well, anyway... Prepare to join the ever-hungry ranks of the undead! On top of everything, Madge calls and says the alimony ain't been coming through. And it's like maybe if you ate a few lean cuisines, Madge, instead of stuffing your fat face with hog and dawes, we could save on alimony. You hog? Your ex-wife is overweight. Goodyear tried to rent her for last year's Super Bowl. Look, mister, I am a dark vampire overlord. Are you not frightened of me? I've seen worse. I've seen Madge's face when I came between her and a plate full of pork scraps. Well, in any case... You will now see the horrifying visage of eternal and hollow darkness. How do I get rid of you? Does garlic salt work? That's the only garlic I have. Mortal man, do you not realize that all your life was but the prelude to the dance macabre we now prepare for? You ever used garlic salt on something, but you think it's regular garlic? And then you add regular salt. And it's like infinity times your daily sodium. Is this like your Jerry Seinfeld routine or something? So what if it is? Maybe I've done some open mic nights, okay? Think a guy like me can't have dreams? Think my life is completely pointless? Well, maybe you're right. Look, mister, I really prefer for my victims to be more positive people. If you're already too dark and depressed, that doesn't leave much room for me to work as a scary vampire, does it? You want positive? I tested positive for RSV at the walk-in clinic yesterday. Wouldn't you know it, Walgreens can't fill ribavirin till Thursday. 
I've got this pain in my ribs that kind of comes and goes. Don't you have anything to live for? Well, there is my hamster McGillicuddy. He's always happy to see me. Oh, wait. I stepped on McGillicuddy two weeks ago looking for my glasses. Well, did you at least find your glasses? They were under McGillicuddy. Well, alright, seen any good movies lately? I saw Captain Marvel. You poor man. Well, if you take out the feminist posturing and the inscrutable plot, you are left with some very nice credit sequences. Let's try this. Have you done anything nice for anybody lately? I gave a bum all the money in my wallet. And how did that make you feel? Better once he lowered the pistol. What about religion? Are you a religious man? My ex-wife read Dianetics. Well, it's good enough for Tom Cruise. So was MI2. And speaking of MI2, guess which movie is stuck in my DVD player? Dude, I think you might be cursed. There was that old lady who swore to make my life a miserable hell. A gypsy woman? My mother. Hi, Sparky. Hey, Chip. I came as soon as I saw Vanna wearing that pantsuit. Wheel of fortune? More like wheel of fashion disaster. <laughs> Say, is that one of them Draculas? Yeah, it's some blood-sucking vampire guy. Well, that ain't no good. I'm just going to be leaving now. It's all right, Chip. He wants me to stop being depressed. Well, I agree with him there, Sparky. You got a heck of a lot to live for, if you ask me. Say, I hope you don't mind that I back my truck into your Hummer. Welcome back, everybody. Just to reiterate, this episode is the Meaning of Life episode. We quoted from the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. At that point, snary were the words out of my mouth, but the devil's advocacy alarm went off. Jake argued, playing the part of an agnostic college kid who thinks he can talk because he's read a little Nietzsche or whatever. Just your average sophomore. Just your average sophomore. Ick. Arguer. Moric. Sophmoron. Sophmoron. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. Now, Jake, you are going to play a different kind of devil's advocate now. Once again, fighting against our assertion. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Take it away, Jake. Well, my concern with a a question and answer like that is it really makes God out to be something of an egotist that he made us for his own glory. And I think, I like to think that my God is bigger than that. It just seems very selfish and narcissistic of him. Almost like he's needy. He like, he made us for his own glory. I don't understand that. On the one hand, on the other hand, it also seems pretty selfish that like our goal is to enjoy God. Like, what does that mean? Is it all really about our pleasure? And so I just, you know, these these really simplistic ways of boiling down these big questions don't seem really biblical to me or or really to honor God in any kind of real way. Well, let me ask you this. Is there a point to life? Well, I do believe that God made us for a purpose. Okay, and what is that purpose? Uh, well, his, pur- his ways are higher than our ways. And okay, so we don't actually know what the purpose is? Well... I don't know what you tell me. What does the Bible say? Well, here's the thing. You're accusing God of narcissism, but let's just say for the sake of argument, I'm accusing you and whoever wrote this old timey catechism of having a narcissistic view of God. But 
God's, I'm accusing God of narcissism. Yeah, okay. When I My point am, is that God's no narcissist. When I am being arrogant, when I am being narcissistic, I am doing what? Making everything all about you. Okay. What if everything was all about me? Would I be doing something wrong? What but if it's I not. No, it isn't. That's absolutely right. And so therefore it's very annoying to start with and to end with very <laughs> sinful and wicked for me to make it all about me, for me to be a narcissist. But guess what? God made the world. He actually made it for his own glory. According uh, to a- Psalm 86, 9, all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Romans eleven thirty six. for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's not bad for well, God. I believe that we should we should bring we should glorify God. I'm not arguing that, but just to boil it all down to being about His glory. All right, but God says that He made things. He does things for His good pleasure. And the end, we read that the end of like the whole creation, the end of like all history is. So this is First Corinthians fifteen twenty eight. When all things are subjected to Him, Jesus, then the Son Himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. At the end, everything points back to God. Where does glory have to awesome come in? God is. You did just read a passage of scripture that say anything about glory? Well, it's it's about everything. It's about the, the idea that God is all in all is that God is like the point of everything. If God is the point of everything, that's how you, that's how you determine like, yeah, I live for God. We should all live for God. That's not my... But this is saying that God lives for God. This is saying God's plan is that everything should live for God and end and, up pointing back to God. And so how could God call us to not be selfish and self-centered and then be as selfish and self-centered and narcissistic as you're portraying him to be? Because God is not it. us. God doesn't actually... God, guess what? I'm not supposed to kill people. If God wants to kill people... Why would he create he all can do this? That. Why would, but he doesn't. He does. Yeah, he does kill people. He lets people. It is appointed unto man wants to die. God. That's because we made a choice in the garden to disobey God, but that we brought those consequences on ourselves. Yeah, and since then God has put us to death. Yeah, and who do you think set that consequence? Set those consequences? You think they just came out of nowhere? God could. Oh no, stop! God wanted us to not do it, but we did it he, anyway. He did want us to not do it, and How then and then immediate and then immediately he set about on a way to save us and. And put to and put in place a plan that was self-sacrificial that put us before himself where he came and he suffered and he died to save us. That's not the kind of narcissistic, narcissistic selfish God that you're presenting to me. That's humility. That's sacrifice. That's that's putting others, counting others as better than yourselves, as the Bible teaches us to do, as God teaches us to do, and as Jesus demonstrated that he did. Right. And God is kind and God is merciful and God has chosen a people to... Enjoy him forever. That's the second part of the thing that you're apparently trying to contradict here. No, well, he put us That's above not... himself. He put us above. No, he, he ne- he's never put us above himself. He's. Uh... What, what do you call it when somebody lays down his greater love has no man than this? Then he lay down his life for his friends. That's putting other people ahead of your own desires, ahead of your own comfort, ahead of your own life. Right, and you, Jesus died for us. Yeah, that is sacrifice, right? The, you believe that Jesus sacrificed for our sins, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Right? So, what is the nature of sacrifice but to put something ahead of your own good? Yeah, did, and, did we and, quote and, Revelation four yet? Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
And you want to pretend like that's somehow mutually exclusive with Christ's sacrifice that's right. on the cross. It's and not. that's just dumb. They can both exist. God can love us. He can sacrifice us and he can do it for his own glory. And that's what the scripture teaches. And what you're arguing is bogus. Now I'm really confused because you're just like throwing a bunch of stuff at oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry. You so. might <laughs> <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's why it's, okay, if you weren't a fictional character, maybe I would be a little nicer to you. <laughs> Catch more flies with honey. But it irritates me because, and what really irritates me is the fact that you're just like, I'm just trying to understand, guys. And this is what non-fictional characters do. And they're couching their rebellion and their hatred of the character of God in this kind of, well, I just thought that God loved us kind of thing. And it's it's so stupid. It, it is Romans 9, you know, where Paul says, shall the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? Yeah, where, where, what does molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has not the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable use? God can do what he wants. And it is all about him. It's not all about you. So you just actually need to shut up and believe the Bible and and, and not do this this weak-kneed kind of, oh, well, I thought God loved... Yeah, he did. And he did it for his glory. And that's okay. Both things are true at once. And if you can't wrap your head around it, it's because you have no faith and no understanding of the scripture. Listen, if your God is the kind of harsh God that you're imitating right now, then he's just not the God of the Bible. And I don't care what you say. You're mean you're aggressive, and you're representing a God who's mean and aggressive and capricious. The Bible says that God is love. The Bible says that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches all over the place compassion and kindness, and that's the opposite of what you've shown me. So I, I see where you're imitating your God, but he's not the God that the Bible presents to us. So do you think that God My God gets- is love. Yeah, yeah, God is love. And everyone loves to quote that because they bring their own definition of love. So doesn't God get to define what love is so you, if God is love? Why do you get to define away love or define it in I'm such a way that allows love. you to speak with zero compassion? I, you, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, devil. I came on a little strong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're not going to justify our lack of compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you were a non-fictional character, I hope I would have had more salt in my speech. But I do, I, I would also honestly probably be irritated at that point because you, you guys just want to get meta? Can we? Yeah, let's just go right, ahead and get, get meta. meta. Sure, yeah. All right, end of, end of devil. Jake's playing himself now. <sighs> I beat up that day of devil pretty quickly. Maybe I should have let him seem a little bit scarier though because he's all over the place, right? Yep. Yeah. And what does he say in real life? And what does he look like? And where do we see him? Well, he says all kinds of things. But really, at the end of the day, his goal is to have a very small reflection of himself as his own God. Yeah. The thing about that devil is, you know, sometimes he'll be as blatant as what Jake, you know, you'll meet those people. But also that devil can exist in the reformed world. He can exist in all kinds of places. And he may not, you know, if you ask him point blank questions about God's glory, he may give you the right answers. But then everything about the way he characterizes God, about the sermons he preaches or the scripture he shares or the things he exhorts you to reflects a view of God that is anemic at best. I I think it's really captured in what Double Jake said a minute ago. God puts us first. But But the idea of that statement is like God gives up his own standards for us. It's like God really subordinates himself in a really gross way 
so that humans the, are above. Well, to, well, but the devil says the devil goes right to Philippians two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, right, of course. and says, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. He gave up the form of yeah. he, he gave up his godhead, his godhood. He gave up his he emptied himself, taking on the likeness mm-hmm. of man, and became flesh, and was made a servant. Right. Yep. That's yep, and that's more or less what the and, passage says. And it's in the same passage where he says, therefore, consider one another as better than yourselves. Mm-hmm. Jesus submitted himself not only to becoming a man, but to becoming a servant, and then submitted himself to death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. And so he But then makes, that devil might be forgetting that, therefore, God bestowed on him... The name which the is name above every name, <laughs> so that every <laughs> knee will bow and every tongue confess, which is where and, that passage ends. But yes, you're right. That is what I forget on purpose. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that Jesus never let us define his purpose for him, and he never let us define his standards. He still had full authority over us, even as he died for us. And he never, I mean, you can feel it all through the Gospels. And people talk like like we get to define, I mean, I don't know. Well, I had somebody, just to maybe bring the, bring the danger more home, I had somebody in our church, our conservative reformed church, tell me love is defined as caring about other people as giving as sacrificing for other people that is the definition that is the biblical definition of love and so therefore when it says that god loves what it means is god puts us first yeah and that's tricky because there's obviously elements of truth but that's not the full biblical picture of love or god well what's interesting is that that's where piper is really helpful true what he says is that love is delighting in enjoying somebody else's good and happiness above your own conveniences and other things, but not above your your own happiness. Your own happiness, because you you are placing your happiness in that other person's that happiness. Other person. That's right. 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 And so it it's not some altruistic weird thing. It's a placing of your happiness in the happiness of others. So so, so biblical in sacrifice is not like self abnegation not like get rid of yourself forget that you have a happiness no it's that find your joy find your happiness in serving others that's why the westminsterians were so smart to include the phrase enjoy him him forever forever. yeah that's right we are actually meant to and i mean this is this is gospel 101 it's also john piper 101 it's also c.s lewis Lewis. it's also yeah blah blah Mm -hmm. blah but we are meant to enjoy him and, and, and the fact is, we cannot not. There's no, even a person, I think C.S. Lewis or some, John Piper, somebody says it, you know, even a guy sticking with a gun in his mouth who's about to pull the trigger is doing it because he thinks. What's that? It's Pascal. Is it Pascal that said that? Yeah. Who th- he's doing it because he thinks that's what's going to bring him the most happy happiness. No monk that lives on the top of a mountain does it because he just likes to suffer. He does it because he thinks the suffering is what's, Going to set him free and make him happy. Going to set him free and make him happy. We are actually incapable of unwiring ourselves from the desire. Yeah, it's for just fundamental human nature. We yeah. simply will always act in a way that tends to our what we perceive to be our own happiness. And the fact is, the things that we tend to enjoy, those are the things that we. And this is where Piper has been helpful to lots of people. Again, myself included, is what we enjoy is what we glorify because we are showing it to have we're declaring it to have value right and what we enjoy we can't help but praise and so that's why piper takes this 
answers in the catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him for, forever and replaces the and with by, by enjoying him forever. He tries to make the, the connection of enjoying and mm-hmm. glorifying explicit. But the Westminster divines knew the connection. Yeah. There's no need to do that, but he has point that he likes to make by doing it and he's mm-hmm. not wrong. Okay, guys. Well, there you go. I guess we did a little catechism class today. Question one. How do you you want to sum it up for us, Jake? Yeah, it was like a catechism class, but it was really centered around the question of what's the meaning of life. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, to to take a really dumb metaphor, our existentialist philosopher, atheist guy, and everybody else is trying to make sense of, of a world that's chaos. It's a lot like the ancients looking at the stars and how they traveled in the sky and assuming that the earth themselves are the center of the universe and having to track these weird patterns in the sky and you have wandering stars and all these things it really just don't make sense and then what happens when you realize that god is the center of all things and that man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever is suddenly you have a, a galilean copernican copernican revolution revolution Critical. where suddenly the sun something outside of you something big and glorious god himself is at the center of the and now everything makes sense all of life falls into place it orients everything around us and everything then begins to have meaning and beauty and purpose even the simplest and smallest things in our lives have meaning and beauty and purpose because god made them for his own glory why are there creatures at the bottom of the ocean that we'll never see well god takes pleasure in them and they bring him glory one way or another why do we have our little lives and make families and because of God. And there are, there are deeper, there are all kinds of subordinate explanations that the Bible gives us, but there's one ultimate one that really does order and make sense of all of those subordinate explanations. And that's that God is God and God does whatever he does for his own glory. And he made us to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And we enjoy him by enjoying the things that he's made and giving him thanks and living our lives as he's taught and commanded and and demanded that we live. All right, here's a dumb question, maybe. If I get some Chick-fil-A and I'm eating my delicious Chick-fil-A, do I have to be like thinking, I sure am glad that I'm glorifying God through this Chick-fil-A and I'm thankful and I'm praying without ceasing thanks to God. So I'm not just enjoying Chick-fil-A right now. I'm enjoying the chickens that got, d- 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 does my mind constantly have to be like in meta mode in meta mode like god did this and god and i see god and i was like neo with the matrix where i suddenly that see all the lines how, of code and that's, i that's how kind of how augustine talks about it if i recall correctly in the confessions he's bemoaning the fact that when he eats his mind gets distracted from thinking of god and it's very hard to eat food because he wants to be thinking of God. So so there's a sense in which all of our lives are to be lived in light of the fact that God is God, that God sees before the face of God, quorum Deo, as the old Latin. But really, we're really just talking about a life of simple, humble gratitude. We don't have to be, I don't think, super meta all the time. To be super meta is to be super spiritual and to be pharisaical, basically, I think. And to be tyrannized by this, yeah, by that super spiritual sort of Almost a legalistic sort of super spiritual thing where well, it's like know, the Pentecostal pretty soon thing. you're gonna be you're gonna be getting out of bed in the morning and asking which side of bed will most glorify God when I get how many steps should I take 
to get to the bathroom, the most glorified God. And then you have all these standards that you have to filter things. What clothes will I put on today that will be most glorifying to God, the red shirt or the blue shirt? And if red symbolizes, and if blue, this, and if that, and you know, you can get yourself tied up in all kinds of knots. Well, the reason I ask, it's not just abstract for me, at least, because I grew up among the more charismatic Pentecostal kind of crowd. I knew the kind of people who, if you asked them, when it says pray without ceasing, does that mean we can ever not pray? They would have said, no, God has actually commanded you to be constantly praying to him. And if you stop for a second to have another thought, you are sinning. And so people really do tie themselves up in knots about these things. And I'm tempted to tie myself up in knots about the, am I glorifying God right now? Is this glorifying God? Uh, If I step on that crack, will it be more glorifying to God than if I'm jogging right now? Well, I don't know. There's a superstition about stepping on cracks. So probably I should step on the crack, but I'm stepping on the crack because I'm defying the superstition. Then maybe I'm just no end to the ways that you can tyrannize yourself and others and be tyrannized by these sorts of things. And it's not the kind of freedom that we have in Christ. We have freedom as... You referenced Augustine earlier, Ben, as Augustine said, love God and do as you please. Mm-hmm. Well, and can I make a terrible confession? <laughs> but no pun intended. Oh. When I read Augustine, I mean, I know Augustine's like way smarter and cooler and more godly than I'll ever be, but I think sometimes he seems a little weird on that exact topic. He can be a little... Oh, I think I think it's weird. He can be a little over the top, a little s- super spiritual, I dare say. I, don't tell anybody. Augustine has the super spiritual points and chief among them is his view of sex which Mm -hmm. i think is deeply tied to his super spirituality right which we don't have to but augustine is a wiser godlier smarter person than anybody in this room and we had better default to augustine rather than etc etc nuance 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 nuance. let he who has ears hear so people should tie themselves up in knots or should not tie themselves up in knots. I think what we've argued is they should totally tie themselves up in knots. And not live by faith at all. Not live by faith, not try to live with any tension, but simply to have an answer to every single possibility, every breath they take. Is it the most glorifying breath you could possibly take? Because you really need to take deep breaths if you're going to be... No, no, don't tie yourself up in knots. There are other vocations besides joining a monastery and whipping yourself. Yep. <laughs> Just kidding. No, there, no, there aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, your only choices are nihilism, <laughs> facing the darkness, <laughs> or joining a monastery and whipping yourself. <laughs> I'm glad we figured out what the meaning of life is. That's easy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in a couple weeks. So let's spend some time wasting it away. Love is like music You went and changed the game We're breaking all the rules Sound of Sanity was associate produced by Benjamin Solzer Produced by Nathan Alberson Executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson Again, you can go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity to support this work And until next time, stay safe this time we just go slow We'll truly take my heart It's on